Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Hello, everybody. I hope you're doing well, and welcome to episode number 49 of the Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe podcast. On the show today, Riel Hamilton Romeo called in to discuss ethics and integrity in the workplace. What do you do when your boss or your supervisor asks you to do something that you know is wrong? Do you do it or do you stand up for yourself? We talked about that. But before that, we talked about politics and it was a great conversation. We talked about Trump and Biden and Harris and Bernie. We talked about them all. We also talked about the importance of speaking out when you see injustice. She shared stories about moving to America when she was seven and what it was like being an immigrant. And I'll tell you, it's a lot different being a person of color immigrant than a white immigrant. We also talked about code switching, which I had never heard that term before. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Riel to the show. Riel, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you called in um, to chat with me. Hi, Joe. It's great to talk to you. It's been forever. It has been a long time. What's it been? I, I would say, because you and I worked at the same airline for a brief period of time. So I would say that's probably almost 10 years ago. Yes, I no less than 10 years. So I left that airline in 2014. So six years, but it does feel like an eternity. Oh my God. When I, yes, it does. I've been gone from them for two months now and I feel like I was reborn. Yes. There was definitely a bubble there. It's, um, I always said like that wasn't real life and then you left there and it was like, what the hell is the rest of the world? (laughs) I remember one time, one specific memory I have of you, this was back when I was a flight attendant supervisor, which is an entirely different experience from even being a flight attendant. And I remember we were at a, um, a meeting with our VP and everyone was just saying the most craziest shit. And you, I just remember you and I would always make eye contact from across the room at each other. Mm -hmm. Like, Are we the only ones here? Are we the only Mm -hmm. ones paying attention? Mm-hmm. Like and, y'all don't hear this crazy. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I think like I'm in that same mentality, like I was back in that time, like I am right now in the United States of America. I, I'm walking around and I'm thinking, am I the only one? No, I can't be the only one noticing all this batshit craziness that's happening. Yes, I definitely feel that same sense of what the fuck is. Um, and a lot of people I know and talk to have that same, like, oh, are we in a simulation right now? Like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? It's 
incredible to just sit down and sit back and watch it all play out because you know what it seems like? You know, like when you're watching a movie and like the protagonist is there and it's like everything slows down. It looks like they're looking at their life in slow motion. I feel like that's me right now happening in real time. And it's everything. It's the dual pandemic of the coronavirus, the racism and all of it. It's listening to people talk about how crazy our president is or how much they love our president and what that means for society. And just hearing the different perspectives and understanding how everyone got there, but also still being like, y'all can't be serious. Like this, <laughs> this can't be real. I feel the same way because I'm in this spot right now where I'm, I'm seeing the things with my own eyes, right? You know, you see things with your eyes, you hear things, you're what you watch certain people speak and I always sit back and I'm just still shocked, even though I've read a lot of books and I understand the mentality of, of conservatives and where they're coming from and how long they've felt like this. But I still, I watch it and I think, what, am I missing something? Because I start thinking I'm the crazy one. Do you ever right. do that? Do you ever like watch someone's like there'll be something on the news and then you'll hear it. You'll know, oh, that's fucking nuts. And then there's mm -hmm. someone else who's like, no, no, that's true. And I'm thinking, Am, oh, oh, my God, I'm the crazy one. Maybe I'm the crazy yeah. one. All the time. And I try to have conversations with people to understand. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if that helps or hurts. So, for example, um, when. President Trump was elected back in 2016. I was teaching, I want to say my class was a class of freshmen at the time. And everyone in the class, it was about 18 people. Everyone in the class were kind of just like, they were all floored at what was happening, that he actually got elected, except for one student. And she was an ardent Trump supporter. She was one of my brightest, most attentive students, super intelligent. She sat in the front. She participated a lot. And she was such a wonderful young woman. And every time the entire class would gang up and be like, Trump, 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 bad, 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 she would be like, no, guys. Like, listen, everyone would roll their eyes, suck their teeth, walk out of the classroom. And... As a teacher and knowing my political views, like I was just standing up being like, on the one hand, I applaud this young lady, but on the other hand, I'm like, how? And as I tried to like engage her more in class and understand, it was like I was getting nowhere with myself and trying to understand. And then one day at the end of, toward the end of the semester, she asked if she could talk to me. And if I could write her a reference letter and she was telling me that she was going to work on the Trump reelection campaign, 2016 huh. reelection campaign. Okay. And I was like, sure. And we sat down and talked and I was like, there's nothing like, she's not like mentally ill. She's not crazy. There's nothing wrong with her. She was just seeing this beacon of hope in him that the rest of us don't see or understand. And the only way that I was able to understand that it's from her perspective, her life experiences, and that of her family, why she understood that. And so that's the mindset that I try to go into when I listen to a lot of these people, especially these pundits and, like, talking heads on, like, news programs and just, like, columns in the newspaper and see, like, not everyone is from the same mindset that I'm coming from. But then it's like, 
but do they even understand the other perspective? So I feel like most of us are rational and we can put ourselves in someone else's shoes. But a lot of times, it's like, unless someone has experienced something, they don't get what the flip side of that is or how it can be, which is where I think we got to with a lot of this like racial tension. We were all stuck at home. We couldn't go anywhere. And then we see George Floyd get murdered and everyone is like, oh, that's what it's like. So I think unless it's like your eyeballs are like propped open and you can't move and it's being fed into you and you have some type of perspective, you don't understand where it's coming from. And I think that's where a lot of people are. And we listen to people say stuff without any regard for what that means for people on the other side of that argument. And so those of us who are like, don't you get it, can do that. But those who don't, they have no way of piercing that at all. And so we all just sit here and go, nah, they're crazy. I agree with you. Um, I try to, I like that you shared that even though that one lone student in your class, and this was in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. I yep. wonder what she thinks today. But, you know, I love the fact that even though everyone, she was this lone person who had these beliefs, she stuck with these beliefs. And I do admire that. But mm-hmm. I, I admire most that you really try to understand where these people are coming from, because there's such a divide now in the country that it's you're either with me or you're against me. And there's no more compromise. And right. I want, I'm so glad you're on the show today because I woke up this morning and, you know, I have all my notes. I do all my homework for my guests. I'm very excited that you're coming on the show because we're going to talk about ethics and morality and doing the right thing. And I sit down on the sofa and I open up my Instagram page. And yesterday, I, um, I try to keep the flight attendant Joe Brand kind of in the middle. Like, I try not mm-hmm. to get too political because it's a comedy flight attendant page. But... I also am one of those people that believe once you know there's an injustice or there's lies, it's important for you to call them out. Because if you don't, then you're just going along with it and you're just as bad as everyone else who believes those lies. Right. So uh, um, so keeping that in mind, uh, yesterday, I believe, yesterday, uh, Donald Trump, who I am not a fan of, and it's so funny when... <laughs> People on social media are like, oh, I didn't know you didn't like him. I'm like, obviously, you don't listen to my podcast. You don't read my (laughs) books. You obviously know nothing about me. And you probably saw this one funny meme that I wrote one day. So so I sit on the sofa. I get my coffee. I'm all in a great mood. And I open up Instagram. And yesterday, I had shared this article on my Instagram story uh, where Donald Trump was attacking, verbally attacking, or saying shit about Michelle Obama. And... Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care if you hated Barack Obama for anything. Don't go after Michelle Obama. There's no excuse. I will not tolerate it. Mm-hmm. I won't. So I, um, but I loved Obama. I love them all. So I, yeah. um, so I, I, I shared this thing and I was like, you know, he said something about, oh, she got the deaths wrong. It's more than that. He was like almost boasting that more people mm-hmm. died. And I thought he's so oblivious to his words that he's basically admitting that this pandemic is not under control and he's failed. Right. right. So then the next photo was a little bit of the article where she basically said Donald Trump is not 
qualified to do this job and we need to save the country, which is something I believe in a 10 billion percent. So I put a little countdown clock up on this article <laughs> to November 3rd because I'm telling you, I wish it was November. My birthday's November 10th and I'm going to be 48, but I cannot wait. Usually I'm like, oh God, I don't want the year to go by. Right, right. My ass cannot wait till November 3rd. And that's my husband's birthday. So we have a plan A and a plan B for his birthday celebration. One is possibly getting hammered and celebrating. The other is getting hammered and possibly crying. I don't know yet. I know, right? So I put this on there. And so I wake up this morning. I'm not even thinking about it anymore. And I get this response from this woman. And she's like, you've just lost because of your, um, anti-Trump posts, you've just lost a viewer, and I'm telling other people to stop following you, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it upset me for probably about uh, five minutes, because I was just like, like, because my first instinct is to verbally lash out and attack her and find her house and, you know, whatever. And you're like, oh my God, he's crazier than I thought. <laughs> but I know that that's not what to do. I know that first of all, I'm not even going to interact with this person because why would right. I, why would I escalate the situation? And um, I'm just going to put her on blast on the story and explain to people why I don't respond to strangers. And then I'm going to move on with my life. But how do we get to that? Because there's a lot of people out there right now that don't know how to just ignore the um, craziness that's going on. Uh, maybe ignore is not the correct word, but read it, understand it, and then not respond to it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And I think a lot of people do have that issue. There's a couple of people who, um, there are a couple of people who I follow, and it's so funny, every once in a while, they'll put up things like, if you don't agree with my post, go past it kind of thing. I think we're at this point, and especially with social media, where everyone feels like they are entitled. And it's this level of entitlement to have a voice, a say, and let your voice be heard to quote unquote go viral, be this like instant celebrity for like 15 seconds or whatever. But what people don't understand is with that responsibility of having the ability to have your voice, There's also another side of it where you have to do that in a way that is effective and responsible. And most people are coming from this place of just gut reaction, emotional response, instead of taking a beat and thinking for a second, a split second, if I were the one who said this, how would I want someone to respond to me? And so everyone is just so like such an ardent keyboard warrior that it's like, I'm going to sit here and say, oh, this bitch you're old because I'm hiding behind my keyboard. Nobody can see me and they can't find me and that's it. Whereas if you actually had to be in a room with this person, sit face to face around the table and have a conversation and discourse, would you carry on in the same way? If your child or someone you admire saw you behaving this way, would you think that your behavior was accessible? And I don't think people think that far ahead. I think we're at this point where people don't understand that you can disagree with what someone says and still be civil, still be professional, still be cordial. Everyone is just so willing to like let their nasty hang out and act like, as we say in the Caribbean, like they don't have any home training (laughs) and just kind of like go wild. Whereas it's like, I don't know 
how we got here. And as I'm saying those words and having them come out of my mouth, I kind of do know how we got here. But it's like, I don't understand why it was so easy for that flip, that switch to flip. You know, I love that you said that because I always say that to myself. I always say, how did we get here? And then I read this book called Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. Mm -hmm. And he really explained that we've been here. We have been living in this situation, except now social media and cell phones broadcasted to everyone. So, you know, we've mm-hmm. always we've always been the nation where it's like, this is a white neighborhood. Oh, there's black people moving in. Oh, we're going to have to do something about that. That's just the yeah. United States. And people, we won't be able to move forward and fix our problems until that is actually an accepted idea and people say, yes, that is true and we need to fix it. All this denying of, that's not true. We're never going to be able to be I hate saying this because I feel like Donald Trump (laughs) stole this, but we're never going to be as great as we could be because it's just embedded in people's DNA regarding, oh, you're different. You're different than me. So I have to have my guard up. Right. No, yeah. And it's funny that you say that because you're absolutely right. We have always been here. It's just something that was talked about or done in the shadows. behind closed doors, just with your closest friends over Thanksgiving dinner. And when you go out in the public or you're on TV, it's this, oh, we could never clutching your imaginary pearls, acting so astonished. Whereas now people just feel empowered and emboldened to be their individual, their true individual selves. And I think for Personally, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. Um, I try not to bash him because I'm like, that doesn't really do any good. Anyone with eyes can see who and what he is. But I'm like, for all that we don't like about him, I think the one thing that he was able to do that others have not is just say, this is who I am. And I'm a regular, everyday guy. I have some money. I'm okay in business. And it's okay to be yourself. And I think that's what a lot of people see and are able to latch onto. And so it's like, if this guy can be who he is every day, all day, and not care what anyone thinks, then I can too. I think the thing that's missing from that is the responsibility, the civility, and the ability to act like a normal human being. And I think if people were to just go with step further. Yes, be who you are, but also understand who you are in the context of everyone else. Like you're not on an island by yourself. Like this is a nation and no one, none of you who are here ranting and raving and acting crazy. I don't care how many generations you and your family and your ancestors have been here. You're not from here. Right. Unless you are a member of one of the many indigenous tribes that have been subjugated to um, reservations, you're not from here. So it's like, have that bit of consciousness to know we all came here for whatever reason that we came here and we're here and deal with it. And if you, you don't like it, you can leave. But don't tell the person that you have an issue with to leave. I don't know how many times people have told me to go back to your country. hate Oh, no. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, that... I do get enraged. <laughs> That's why I have a new punching bag, which is helping me greatly. But I do get enraged <laughs> when I when when I hear someone say, "If you don't like it, 
leave. That right. that does trigger me because I think, you know what? That is the dumbest thing because how many times have you had an argument? It's almost like these people, uh, whoever, whatever side of the political party is at the top for the moment, they love to say that. They, oh, leave mm -hmm. if you're not happy. Well, you mm -hmm. know what? I pay taxes and I was born here and I live here and you live here and you pay taxes. I don't know. You were, where were you born exactly? I was born in Antigua, but oh, I have been a naturalized oh. citizen of these United States of America since I was seven years old. Yeah, so <laughs> we're equals, right? And so right. I get mad when I hear that because I think, you know what? Like I said, I pay taxes. I'm from here. We pay taxes. We live here. I, I have the right to be angry at my government. So don't fucking right. tell me I have to leave. Like when I get mad at my husband because he did something with the dishes, I don't leave. <laughs> right, I, I exactly. Bit, I bitch about it. I try to fix it. I tell him that's not the way it should be done. And he does the same for me. So this, this mentality, when someone says that to me, I'm like, oh God, you didn't get past the eighth grade, did you? Right. That's the other thing too that, is interesting. It's usually, and not to have this dichotomy of like people who are from here and people who aren't, but like I came to this country and I had to study and go to school just like you did. I know that politicians and people in government, they call them people in power. I don't necessarily see them as being in power. You are empowered because of my vote or someone else's vote who put you there. You work for me. Mm. And I think that's the one thing in the United States that we have gotten wrong that people in other governments get right. Do you know how many times I've seen on the news that they're like civil unrest in this country, that country, people are trying to overthrow the president. This um, prime minister is being ousted and put into exile from the people of this nation. Do you know why they do that? Because they work for the people of that nation. I think in the United States, the one thing that I've noticed that our politicians do is that they think that they rule. You don't rule. Yes. You are my voice. And if you're not representing my voice, you need to go. You need to go. Well, they're not. That's one of, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, that's one of the reasons why I think, like, our government, like, I watched Hamilton the other day, and I was just like, Yo, it's so crazy to see like where we were when this country was founded is not where we are today. So why hasn't the Constitution, our laws and other aspects that we use to govern this nation been updated to match that? Exactly. Like the Electoral College rooted in slavery, outdated. We need a system where I don't care if you have two or three people who are running for president or whatever office it is, but we'll take president. Whoever gets the highest vote that should be president. Whoever gets the second highest vote, that should be the vice president. And it should be that. And that could be a Democrat and a Republican, an independent and a progressive. I don't care. But that way we have people who truly represent the interests of the people in the nation that they are governing for whatever specified amount of time that they're doing it. And I think if we went to some kind of system like that, there would be less of this bipartisan infighting my team versus your team, your piece of crap, we're the best. People would just be people. And then you would start to see more laws, more um, environmental concerns. And when I say environment, I don't mean like trees and grass. I just mean as a whole societal concerns being looked at in a different way. Because right now, everybody is just out for self and for what they can get from the system. 
and who they can gain in order to be able to have their position be heard. And that's bullshit. Such bullshit. It's utter bullshit. I um, I agree with you 100% on – I don't even have to say a word. I can just say I agree on everything you just said. I – um. I don't think politicians work for us anymore. I think politicians, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist, but I think politicians work for the the people that have the most money and the people mm -hmm. that are whispering in their ear. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't get to go have lunch with my senator, but you know who gets to have lunch with my senator? Probably the richest person in my state. Mm -hmm. They can probably email my senator and say, hey, let's go have lunch in Denver. And then Whose ear does our politicians have? Like, who right. has our politicians' ear? It's the people with the money. So our politicians on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're not their goal is to just continue being in politics. I missed the day. Exactly. I, I wasn't even alive then, but I say this. I'm like, it should go back to the days where, hi, Farmer John, you ran for Congress. All right, you go and you run your, you do your four years or six years or whatever the fuck you got to do. And then after you've served your time, you've helped your country, you go back to working right. on your farm. This Right. This, you go sit down somewhere and let somebody else get a chance to be a representative. Yes, like the idea that Mitch McConnell has been around since the dinosaurs is absurd to me. Like yeah. How yep. and you know what? Of course I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because hello. I <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, he isn't my first choice though. But mm -hmm. we're not, we are not in the point in this country where we can start picking apart. We have to we have to solve the fire that's burning, right? Solve the fire mm -hmm. that's burning. And then you can say, all right, the fire's down. So now we can figure out what else we're doing. But right now our country's burning. But yeah. I, I just, I, I'm, and this, I know this sounds ageist and it's terrible, but I've said it before. So I'll say it again. I'm really tired of old white men running the country. Yep. I'm really tired of it. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm almost 50, so I'm almost at the old white man category, and I'm fed up with it. I'm tired of these people that are still stuck in their true selves from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s who are only coming around because it's the popular thing to do. Yeah. I don't like I that. think I think when this country was at a place where – old cisgender white men had their um, say and their interests needed to be served. The people who were in government and the politicians at that time reflected that. I think we're at a place now where it's no longer cisgendered straight white men. Like we need, and I hate to say this, but we literally need like a rainbow coalition. That's one of the reasons, like, when I hated to see that there were, like, 123 people vying for the Democratic nomination for um, president of the United States. But I love to see that all of those people felt like they could be representative of this great nation. Mm -hmm. There were so many, like, Asians, Latinos, young people. Um, Pete Buttigieg. Oh, oh I gosh, did him. I say his name wrong? No, but LGBT. I, I, I did love him. I have his T-shirt. And I was just like, this is great. Like, black women, like, Elizabeth Warren, yo, I loved her because she was like, I got a plan for that. Like, she was the only candidate that I was like, you could throw out any issue and she'd be like, boom, this is how you solve it. 
Personally, I love Bernie Sanders because he looks so freaking crazy and unhinged. I feel like behind closed doors, he would drop an F-bomb and tell you to go take a hike somewhere. And I was like, that's the energy that we need. That like That's the energy. I didn't know who I was going to vote for because for me, I find having a Republican Party and a Democratic Party polarizing. I feel like I do have some conservative views. I tend to vote Democratic only because I feel like those views are more um, palatable for more people. But I don't feel like as a black woman, as an immigrant in America, that the Democratic Party reflects me or my interests 100%. Maybe there needs to be a third party, a progressive party or something else. I know that there's independence. Did you say even party? Progressive party. Oh, I thought you said <laughs> breakfast party. I said, oh, Jesus, that's hilarious. I like it. I Tea party, breakfast. breakfast party. Exactly. But I feel like there needs to be a change in who wants to represent us. And I don't think that a lot of people feel that they can do it because they're not seeing themselves reflected. I think as we move and progress as a society and as a nation, and people start to see different types of people in government, more people who are youthful with different viewpoints will be able to rise to the top and say, I will do this. There's a young man um, in New York, his name is Jamal Bowman, and he is the husband, black guy, I think he used to be a teacher or a school principal, um, don't quote me on that, but I know he was an educator, and I know about him because a few years ago when I was still on Facebook, a former classmate of mine from fourth grade mentioned that she was married and her husband was Jamal Bowman. Fast forward all these years, and he's recently been elected. We need more people like that who are willing to step up and say, nah, I don't like how this is going. I'm going to do this. I know that's not it for me. Like, public service is not my calling. But I know that there are more Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes and Jamal Bowmans out there. I know that there are more Andrew Yangs out there. We need to get these people feeling invigorated and impassioned whether they are democrat or republican and have them out there just stepping forward we need more lgbtq youth feeling like they are empowered enough to be representatives of whether it's their local neighborhood or this entire nation and that's not being felt representation matters and i say that all the time in every facet of everything that we do when people see themselves reflected they start to feel like Anything is possible. Right. And right now, yeah. we're not there. I agree with that. When you start seeing your own people, or I shouldn't say own people, but like when you start seeing, like if you're a young voter and you see somebody young out there on the campaign trail, it mm -hmm. invigorates you to say, oh my God, yeah, 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 I'm going to I'm gonna go out and vote. It's hard to get a 22-year-old to get on board with somebody who's almost 80. Right. It's a difficult thing. But I also think, you know, Rewinding back to 2016, the one thing that Donald Trump did was he, and if you read his niece, Mary Trump's book, she really explains the why, what, and how, and what, why he does the things he does. Um, I'm Because I'm so mm -hmm. fascinated with, yeah, you're acting like a fool, but why? Right. So I love that. And she explains that. But the one thing that Donald did was he got people riled up. He pulled out mm -hmm. all the racists. And not only that, but he also pulled out the 
the people that have lots of money because they thought, oh, this guy's a business guy. This guy's going to know what mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, he filed bankruptcy a couple times, but yeah, that's business. So he was able to get people worked up and angry and yeah, 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 we need to change. Grr, grr, you know, all that shit. Hillary was, was kind of like, hi, we're just going to continue on the train that Obama had. And she wasn't, she, right. she didn't get angry. She, she was being very educated and very put together. She didn't, you know, want to ruffle any feathers. And this is another mm -hmm. problem. If she, mm -hmm. if she would have gotten loud and crazy like he was, she would have been called a crazy bitch who can't control right. her emotions. But Right. Unhinged. It, unhinged. Is it sharply? Yeah. But when it's him or when it's a man, it's, oh, yeah, he's powerful. And I think that right. is a huge problem because I personally, when I see Kamala Harris get worked up, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've been a fan of hers for a long time. And, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody the other day, a gay guy who's like, she's not far left enough. And I was like, I'm going to need you to settle down. We'll talk about this after November. But right now we just need to, to clean up a little bit and then start 2021 with a little bit of a clean slate. But yeah, I understand. It's true. You've got it. We've got to get people out there that are, I hate to say this, and I know you love, um, you liked Bernie Sanders, and I'm voting for Biden and whatnot and stuff, but how much they, God, this sounds terrible. They don't have much longer to go. No, they don't. So how much fight are they putting up? Because, yeah, they're fighting for their kids and they're fighting for their grandkids, but they don't really have a stake in the game much longer. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's the truth. You know, you get somebody who's like 35 mm -hmm. or 40, mm -hmm. I'm going to be working really hard because I still have to live another 40 years. Is that right. sound terrible or is there some, no. I think there's some truth to that. There is. And I know exactly what you mean. And that's something that I think of often, especially, I mean, even President Trump, like he's in his seventies, you know? So it's like, yeah, they're getting up there in age, but if you, not so much um, the president, but if you look at for example, Biden chose Kamala Harris as his running mate. And as much as I like her as a person, there are certain aspects of her politics that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. But if you look at a few things, her youth, her gender, her racial background, her cultural background, her um, political and professional record, you need people around you who embody the things that your base is saying is important. So that way, even though you might be two steps on the grave, there's people behind you, a whole line of people who are ready to pick up that torch and move with it because they can. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we don't necessarily think of a lot. Like when you stack the deck with people who look like you, think like you, dress like you, move like you move, you get the same shit on a different day. We need the diversity of thought, the diversity of background, the diversity of economics. So that way you're not just thinking through this tunnel vision of, well, nobody thinks that. And it's like, um, hi, have you stepped outside of your bubble to see what people just across the street from you are doing and thinking and saying and feeling? And that's why we need more, just more. We need to have that diversity. We need to have the equitable treatment and we need to make sure that people feel included. And that's where we are now. We're at this inflection point where, and I've been guilty of saying the same thing that um, that person who was talking about Kamala said, like, 
here we go again. Like Biden is not my first choice. Kamala, I guess we'll take it. We're going to vote for them because, you know, why not? We don't want, for those of us who do believe this, we don't want another four years of something that we see as setting us back. At what point, and I think this is where people were at the 2016 election, those people who were energized by Trump and those of us like me, like Hillary wasn't my first choice by any stretch of the imagination, but I was like, I guess if you're looking at the lesser of two evils, we have to get to a point where it's no longer the lesser of two evils, but here is someone who is representing all of the things that I see as important versus someone who isn't. And we are not there. We haven't been there in a long time. For as much as I loved Obama, there were things about his um, politics that I was like, bruh, come on. Like, you're, you're not my president. I mean, you're my president, but you're not my president. So it's like we have to get to a point where we have candidates who are in touch with reality, not just youthful candidates, but candidates who are in touch. Like, a lot of these candidates are so far out of touch that it's like, at what point, and as a black woman, and I know, like, black folks and black voters, we are not a monolith, but we keep defending and representing this Democratic Party with all that we have only to see the day after Election Day, our voices, our um, issues are flushed down the toilet and it's on to the next. Like, stop using us to get elected and not just us as in Black folks, but stop using people who say, yes, I support you to get elected. And then when you get elected, turn your back and do whatever the hell you want to do or the same bullshit that's been done for decades and decades and decades. It needs to change. And I agree, we do need to get to that point and get someone in there who can start fresh and start to turn things around and level us back out. But once you're in there, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And I think we need to have a system where we can say, this ain't working and not wait the whole four years. Like this is not working. You didn't live up to your promises because that's not representation. And if y'all are going to misrepresent us, y'all need to stop taxing us. <laughs> I'm like, that's what the whole Boston Tea Party was about. No taxation without representation. I'm not being represented, but you are still taxing me to fill. Like, this is not okay. Stop taking our money. Stop taking us for granted and not giving us what you said you were going to give us. Stop misrepresenting us. And that's where I think a lot of people are getting angry and roiled up. It's, we're just tired. I am physically and emotionally tired. Watching the news, I'm like, now nah, I need to go do two hours of meditation after this because it's like, <laughs> what is happening? And I don't have two hours to dedicate, but it's right. like, that's what you need, but you still have to stay in touch. It's just this constant barrage of information, misinformation, disinformation. And it's like, where does it all end? When? When is it like going to be enough? And everyone wants to be right. And so everyone just keeps talking and hoping that you only pay attention to, excuse me, to like Fox News or CNN or the New York Times or um, whatever other publication you're focused on. It's like, it's enough already. Like we need a voice. We need a representative who can cut through the crap and just tell it like it is. You know, but tell the truth, <laughs> I, I, tell the truth. I think that's so important. And I think that I was just saying this the other day about, you know, politicians are very smart. It's it takes a special quality of a United States politician to get 
as far as they get and to stay in these positions as long. And it's all manipulation. And they do manipulate us as citizens because they actually have us. Think about this. They're the ones in these roles, empowered roles, that we vote them in. They forget about us. But then we, as the citizens, fight each other. Mm -hmm. Well, they just sit up there and they collect their money and they get their donations mm -hmm. from whatever they get. And they're just sitting there like their whole thing, the day after the election, they don't give a fuck. Both sides, all nope. of them, they don't care about you or me or anyone. Nope. Their whole goal is, all right, I've got to get reelected. So we have to start yep. working on that. It has yep. nothing to do with trying to make a difference or trying to make life better for the civilians in this country who pay taxes. It's the, all right, I got to get elected because I'm going to be a career politician. And that I think yep. is a huge problem. And I always say this and um, I get a lot of eye rolls, but I, I just said this the other day that I don't think the United States will ever move forward in the way we need to until we rewrite the constitution. Mm -hmm. and because you I know, agree. if you look at France, look at France, they've been around longer than us. They have, they're on like their fourth or fifth constitution because as the years have progressed, they're like, Oh yeah, what we wrote mm -hmm. in 1776 does not fucking equate to 2020. I mean, yep. you don't even have to, you could probably get to the ninth grade civics course to figure that out. Exactly. And, and that's where I think so the crux angry. of a lot of our issues are same. Thing. And I and it's funny because like I always thought that I felt that way because I'm an immigrant, but I'm like, no, like there's things in here that are no longer valid. Like the thirteenth amendment for all that it did for people who look like me, we are still quote unquote not free. We don't have the right to vote. Like it's something that has to be voted on every few years. To say yes, black people can vote. Like, what? That's not something that should still exist in 2020. Agreed. Like yeah. at all. We should you know, the the think about this. There there's there's politicians out there who didn't agree that there should be an anti-lynching law. I mean Right. That that is that should be a concern. It today in 2020. That shouldn't, you know, if that comes across your table, you should be like, holy shit, why the fuck is this? Yes, let me sign this. We need to get, yeah, this, right. this is ridiculous. Yeah, that's not even, that That should be a law. So it's, it's those weird things that really keep us, you mentioned earlier that we're going backwards. And it's so true. Mm -hmm. And it's frightening for people yeah. who are progressive and who people who just say, yeah. hey, yeah, equality, that sounds great. Why isn't that a thing for everyone? Why, why didn't the ERA pass? I'm really on this ERA thing, the Equal mm -hmm. Rights Amendment. Because if we do get um, Democrats in the House and the Senate and, and uh, in the presidency, there could be a way to reopen the ERA and pass it, the Equal Rights Amendment that was fought against by women in the 70s, which I'll never understand. Um, I so just can't even. There's so much. Oh, 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 I'm glad that you said that, because do you think that men stand together more than women stand together? Yes. Why do you think? I definitely... 
I definitely think men stand together more than women do. I think that Republicans stand together more than Democrats do. I think the reason why men stand together more than women do is because they have the ability to, and this is also true for Republicans, they can get behind the party line. With women, we're always like, okay, I'll do this, but, and what if this and this and this happens? Men, they do that too, but it's more or less like, let's just knock this out and we can deal with all of this other stuff, figure out who needs to grease who's palm, pay who under the table, but we're going to be united and we're going to go forward with this one message. With women, there's too much, um, how do I want to say this? Like competition. Even if there is no competition, there's this like inherent thing that if you're being paid attention to, that takes away from me. And I think that's something that's very inherent in who we are. And I'm not sure why. Like, for example, I used to work with a woman and by all means, like, because I think I'm the shit all the time. That's just how I carry myself. And for some reason, she took issue with that. And she made a point of telling me how expensive her clothes were, how amazing her husband was and her life and her this. And she's like, oh, but you're not married. No, but by all accounts, you sound like a male order bride. So why would I be jealous of that? It's like women can't fathom that I don't care. Whereas men, they inherently are like, F this. Like, I already don't care. Let's just get this done. It's not about me and you. Like, we put a lot of emotions into things, whereas men are like, yo, let's just look at this from top to bottom, check this off the list, and then keep it moving. If I don't have to message you after this, great. If we end up being cool, that's nice, but that's not what I'm after. Women are always trying to kumbaya and talk it up. Nah, like, take all of the emotion out of it. Connect with what's true within the fiber of your being. That's something my father has always said. And look at what's true in the fiber of your being. And if that's true, then go in that direction. Women, we put too much emotion. And I think it's the emotion that gets us off track. And I know a lot of women are going to be like, oh, my gosh, how can you say that as a woman? Y'all know I'm telling the truth. So <laughs> but get on or not. The reason I asked this is because the other day, a friend of mine who also does not like Trump, his mom is a Trump fan and she's going to vote mm -hmm. for him. And she said to him, I can't vote for a woman because a woman can't do the job. That actually hurt me inside. I'm not even a woman that hurt me inside. And it really just brought forward the idea of why don't women stick behind each other? You know, mm -hmm. and all, and I told him, I said, well, all you got to do is have her pull up New Zealand and, jo uh, and Germany and she'll figure it out. I mean, women, I was going to say, do you know, how yeah. many countries are led by women and they're thriving? Yeah, but also a lot, and i probably going to get shit for this, but a lot of people on that side of the political spectrum don't really worry about what's happening in the other world, around the world. They don't no. really, yeah. they don't care. Like if you say, you know, everyone's laughing at us, they're like, we don't care because we're the greatest. And I'm like, I'm going to need you to settle down for a moment. Right. right. People don't laugh at the one who's great. Right. Yeah. People don't mock us. You know, I just was on a, a Canadian podcast yesterday. And after we were recording, he was like, I'm so sorry what's happening to your country. I'm like, this is what people, mm -hmm. this is what people really believe. When, when um, Donald Trump was voted in, Matt, we were in Japan on vacation. We had people, and this is not an exaggeration. We had people coming up to us the day after the election saying how sorry they were. 
for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we're the laughing stock of the world, but when you're in that cult mentality, you you don't care what other people think. You like no. if you think if you truly believe living in the middle of the United States and never seeing the ocean and never leaving the country and thinking that this is the greatest place, I think you're lying to yourself because how can you compare it when you've never left the country? Right. But and that's very true. As someone who lives on the East Coast, so like I live in New York, and people never shy away from telling me New York is not representative of the rest of the country. New York City is not even representative of the rest of the state. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you are absolutely right. And I tend to not forget that, but it's not front of mind always. So it's like, I automatically think, and yes, I tend to be a regional, regionalist sometimes. I automatically think what's happening in and around me in New York is permeated throughout the rest of the country and it's not oh, like no, no. what people are dealing with in Idaho and Nebraska and Chicago and the Dakotas is very different than what people in LA or Atlanta or New York or Houston are dealing with like it's just not the same and I think the more we can connect with that concept of what's happening there is not happening here like for example, my student, the one I was telling you about, who was the Trump supporter and worked on the campaign, she was like, I've never been around this many black people. Now, I'm just going to put myself on blast for a second. So I teach at St. John's University, Queens campus in Queens, New York. And oh she said God. that she had never been around that many black people in her entire life. And I was like, well, where are you from? Expecting her to be like, some tiny town in like Iowa or something. She was like California. And I was like, huh. Oh, but and in my head, California's okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll finish that thought. In my head, I was like, what part of California would be so like insular or remote that she wouldn't have visibility into all of these other people. She said, you know, I've seen like black people and Hispanic people on television and Asian people. She was like, but I've never like been around so many of them at one point in time and she was like it's not a bad thing she goes that just wasn't my reality and I was like wow like I was born in a country where the majority of the people in that country are black mm -hmm. we have people from um Lebanon we have Syrians we have a lot of Chinese now Dominicans people from everywhere so it's literally like a melting pot and for me, like racism wasn't a thing until like I started going to school here in the United States. And I was like, yo, why are people like this? But she kind of had, and I thought about it in that way. And I was like, that's very true. Like I, I'd been around other people, but I didn't know these other concepts until I got here. So for her, she's like, those weren't my issues. And I'm hearing that this is an issue because I never had to deal with it. I'm assuming that these things are all true. And so I was like, that makes sense. If you right. don't have exposure to it, why would you think anything different if this is all you know and all people are telling you? And then I had to check my own bias because I was like, oh, California is more than LA and San Francisco mm -hmm. and Oakland and San Diego. Like there's probably all of these other parts of that state that aren't that and but not Diverse. I was going to say integrated, but diverse. <laughs> no, well, and, and you're right. I lived in the Bay Area for seven years. And, you know, everyone in the country believes, oh, California is just this liberal playground where, you know, everyone's just 
giving money to the homeless or whatever. Like they hand out drugs mm -hmm. to people on the street. It's crazy. But no, if it's really only the coast, the moment you go, I would say maybe 15 or 20 miles east of Oakland. And that's not far, right? It's not far. That's not even to Sacramento. You could cut a line down California and the east part, eastern part of California is all red. It's all very, cons very conserved, almost like another state. And then mm -hmm. just along the coast and even San Diego is very conservative. So it's really just mm -hmm. L.A. and San Francisco. But when I lived in the Bay Area and I had lived in Florida for 25 years prior to that, I... Um, it was such a bubble of diversity and difference that I would go back to visit people in Florida and I would just walk into a public grocery store or something. And I would think, Oh my God, I do live in another world. Mm -hmm. And this, this is really the, um, there's more rural areas in the state than the big cities, but we do, we get wrapped up in, like you said, that regional mindset of, oh, this is where I live. Everything else must be fine. And I think right. that's why Donald Trump won because we yep. living in our mentality of, oh, look, I live in the Bay Area. Oh, I live in a big city. I live in Atlanta, LA, where everyone's diverse. We all love each other. But we forgot <laughs> that there was a huge amount of people in our country that don't have those beliefs and they're still afraid of black people. Mm -hmm. Let's call it like it is. There's white people yeah. that are like, oh, there's a black person walking down my street. I better call 911. That's where we... mm -hmm. <laughs> it's absurd. It's very scary. But it's um, it's also telling of where how our country is really just stalled. Yeah. I think you said something, yeah. you said something, though, you said, um, what did you say? You said. You didn't mind Obama, but he really wasn't your president. What do you mean by that? I think some of, I think, actually, before I explain that, I'll, I, no, I'll explain it like this. So for, and black folks don't get mad at me for, you know, exposing us, but for a lot of us, we have to code switch. One of the things, so for those who don't know what code switching is, for me, like I said, I'm from another country, so in my country, we speak English, that's our national language, but we also speak um, Patois or dialect. So it's a form of broken English. When I'm around my family, that's how we speak. When I'm around other people, I speak like how I'm speaking with Joe today. When I am around my friends, I'm a bit more relaxed in how I speak or how I present myself. When I'm in front of my classroom or my colleagues, I put on what I have been told it's my POL voice. And for those of you who work at that airline where Joe and I work, you'll know what that POL stands for. But it's really my professional voice. And people say, oh, I didn't even know you were black. You don't sound black. We have to do this code switching. And as someone who grew up in an immigrant family, a black family raised in this country, one of the things you get told is you have to be twice as good just to get half as far as your white counterpart. Mm -hmm. You have to be perfect. There is no margin of error for you. You cannot afford to make a mistake. Culturally, it's something that has been embedded in us. If I make a mistake as a black woman, all black women are seen as having that deficiency. Whereas my dear friend Joe, if he makes a mistake, it's not a mark against white men. It's not a mark against white gay men. It's just Joe. So for us, we have to be so freaking perfect. You can't fart in public. You can't burp. You have to know which fork goes where. Otherwise, oh, 
all of these people are the same. They have no manners. They don't even know how to eat properly at a table, comport themselves. Obama wore a tan suit and it was like the worst thing imaginable. Yes. Um, Michelle showed her shoulders and it was like, how dare she has she no decency? Whereas we have a first lady who has been completely frontal nude and spread eagle on a number of publications. I cannot tell you what between other first lady size look like, for example, but like that's how he had to be. So he couldn't be the quote unquote black president. He had to be America's president. So there were certain things that I think Obama could have done for black Americans that I did not see happen or reflected during his eight years of presidency. He did a good job, but I think had he paid more attention to some of those things, he could have done a great job in the eyes of black people. I think in the eyes of everyone else, it would have been like, oh, he's only thinking about them. He's not our president. He's their president. So when I say like there were a number of things with his politics that I disagreed with, for as um, hope-inducing and open-minded as he came across, I think there were certain things that he just really pushed the old establishment um, talking points and tropes which, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's why he was in power, was to get those same um, tropes pushed through, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but when you look at it down on the individual or societal or collective level for whatever swath of people you're talking about, it wasn't necessarily a lot of um, positivity for Black people. I still think that he was a great president, I voted for Obama because I was like, again, I voted on the Democratic um, Party line. I was like excited to see a black president. I was super excited to see someone who in his campaign speeches, he wasn't touting the same party lines, but he made it seem like there was a renewed sense of um, thinking and mindset that was going to wash over this country. And for all of that, I think he did really well. He did really well at bringing us together. Um, Although clearly there were lots of people who felt disenfranchised by his presidency, I think he made a great show of it. And that's why I say, like, I don't necessarily think that he was a president for us black folks. But black folks who know, we know, like, he couldn't have been even if he wanted to. And he didn't have that room for error. Do you think that being Barack Obama, who is equally as much black as white, because his mom's mm-hmm. white, his black dad, do you think in his mind he's thinking, all right, I can't be too black because the whites won't like it, and then I can't be too white because the blacks won't like it, so I'm gonna have to, I have to try to balance this, and that sounds exhausting to me. It is. It is. I have, so in my family, we're ridiculously mixed, but a lot of my friends who are mixed race, whatever their racial makeup is, they will tell you if they, they feel like they're not exactly one, they're not exactly the other. And especially when you're half black and half white, depending on who you grow up with, whether it's your quote unquote black family or your white family. And some people are blessed to be able to grow up around both. It's a tough thing to deal with. It's a constant identity struggle, like constant, constant. 
I think the only thing that comes close that people can start to understand what that's like is if you're an immigrant. So, or if you've been adopted, because you kind of feel like you have one foot in one world and one foot in the other, but you don't necessarily fit into either. And because we like to categorize people as being this or that, it makes it hard for you to be this thing that's neither this nor that. And it's that constant struggle of, I have to be this, I have to be this, I have to be this. So, and again, a lot of us grow up with parents, especially if you're an immigrant, especially if you're Black, with parents who are constantly reminding you, when you go out there, people are going to remind you that you are different. For those people who have the ability to quote unquote pass, especially those who are white passing, I think for, and I'm, if anyone who sees me or if you follow any of my socials or you know me personally, I'm black and I present black, even though I am from mixed background. But for people who are black or mixed race and they present as like quote unquote white passing, and I've seen Asian people who can present as white passing, Latinos, blacks. It is interesting to see how people react to them and how they interact. And unless they self-disclose, you don't know who or what they are. And for them, <clears throat> excuse me, for them, sometimes that's easier than having to disclose because then it's like, how will people treat me? Um, how am I going to be perceived? Will my privilege cease to exist because I have disclosed who I am? And that's something that's very real. There's a young woman who I went to school with. So I went to the master school, which at the time was an all-girls independent college preparatory school. And of course, the majority of people who were there were white. But there was a young woman who I went to school with, and she was so racially ambiguous, you couldn't tell um, that she was a black woman. And she recently, she launched a business. Um, it's called Lalita. And it's like lingerie and other flirty um, pieces of apparel. And she recently came out on Instagram and she said, you know, I'm a black woman and I've been living. She calls it um, incognito. She's like, you know, I am, you know, because of how I look, no one knows for sure what I am. And people ask me and I'm always very vague. She was like, but make no mistake. I'm a black woman. This is a black owned business. And she said she had reservations about saying that because she didn't know if that meant that she would be losing her livelihood. That's the reality. And she's not mixed race, but that's the reality of people who don't know where they fit in or how people will perceive them that they live with. And it is absolutely exhausting. It's sad too. The, the idea that there's, there's people who have to hide who they are or not feel I don't want to say proud, but afraid to to say, hey, you know, this is a black owned company or this is who I am. Those are things that white people don't think about. Right. And it, it really hurts me. I want to. Um, and like I said earlier, I don't think we can get past that as a nation until we really solve the deep rooted issue of systemic racism in our country. Mm -hmm. I mean, that and. This election, you know, I was talking with my husband about this the other day. I'm like, I hope people don't think, oh, yeah, once we get Trump out of office, things are going to go back to normal. No, ma'am, because now, oh, no. now we we have to deal with it. It's like when you find out something bad, like, oh, I have cancer. Oh, I have this. Well, I can't ignore it. 
just, oh, I got the diagnosis. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'll just, no, no, you have to deal with it. So just because hopefully Trump is gone in January and we have a new president, um, we, we're going to have to tackle these things hardcore. It's not going to go right. away. And I think I'm, I'm afraid that that might be the mentality. I think a lot of people do think that um, this is this election. Is, if we change the party who will be representing, it's not a panacea. It's not going to completely just magically erase everything. That to me is when the real work begins. Mm -hmm. So we've started all of this work now and we started all of this work. We started raising our voices, making sure that the concerns are brought to the forefront. And with this election, we have the opportunity to start changing a lot of what we see as problems. So now we've called it out. People are listening. What do we do next? And that's where we are. We can't just go back to sweeping it under the rug, going back to sitting pretty and just presenting nice, but talking shit and being dirtbags behind everyone's backs. We now have to do the work of clearing all of that away, identifying it, tackling it. It's almost like we need to have a collective <laughs> psychotherapy session <laughs> for like the next four years. Yeah. So that way we can all identify what these triggers are and why we feel like we need to hold on to these identities of hate and not be, we don't have to all like each other. We don't have to all no. agree, right. but you shouldn't hate me because I'm black and you shouldn't have something against Joe because he's gay. Wait, and wait you minute, shouldn't just you like, you can't out me on my show. No, I'm kidding. Everyone knows. I was <laughs> <laughs> like, you just talked about the husband. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm just joking with you, but no, you're you know, it's like, right. it's like, you can't not like this person because they're coming from Mexico. Like these are things that, it's like, why do you feel that way? And I think that's what we need to address. I don't have the answer as to how we address it, but these are some of the things that we need to talk about. When I was in graduate school, I did my, one of my, um, actually that's not true. When I was an undergrad, I did a huge paper on redlining and gentrification. And people are like, oh, this doesn't even happen anymore. And all of my research said it's cyclical. It happens like every 20 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. And right on cue, this is where we've been for the last five years. So I'm like, here it is that it's now like at the forefront. And people are like, no, this is something that happened like in the 60s and 70s. And yet here we are again. That's systemic racism. When you have police who feel like they could just beat the crap out of people just because they are black. That's systemic racism. And then it's understanding that police were born out of slavery right. as a way to bring your slaves back yeah, to I... subjugate those members of society. Like those are some of the things that we have to think about. So when right. people are saying defund the police, defund the system that makes it okay for people to still act as though they are getting runaway slaves or right. that they have the right to just pull out a gun, kneel on somebody's neck and take your life just because. I just had this conversation. It's so funny that you brought that up about um, how the police started, and it was to go and collect 
slaves who escaped from the north and who escaped from the south to the north. Not only did they go and get, sla- get quote unquote, get slaves and bring them back, they also kidnapped free, free black people mm-hmm. in the north. Right? Mm-hmm. So I was having this conversation with a white friend of mine, and um, he had no clue. When I said that, he's like, I don't know if that's true. And I said, well, I'm not going to argue with you about it because I know it's true. So what I'm going to say to you is do a little research. All you have to do is go on to Google and type in, you know, how did the police start and maybe even type in slavery. And you are going Mm -hmm. to get the education that we should be taught in school. Right. This would be a great transition into ethics, but I do have one other question for you. Okay. I've never heard of the term code switching. Could you explain that to me more? Yeah. So code switching, I don't know where it originated, but it's something that we use. And I say we, meaning mostly black people, but like I said, immigrants do it also, where you have your private slash personal self and then your professional self. I think there was an episode of, Saturday Night Live, where this was illustrated beautifully. Um, It was super exaggerated, but it's so, like, relevant, where there was um, a black man and a black woman, like, in an office setting, and they were talking to each other, like, relaxed. He was like, yo, this and that, hold on. She was like, yeah, this and that. And then the boss comes in, and he's like, yeah, so I'll have that on your desk by 5 p.m. Like, and I'll make sure to go to drinks with you and skip and that we're doing such and such. And then he left and he was like, yo, like, this is so tiring to have to do this constantly. But that's how a lot of us live our lives. You'll see now more so than in like maybe 5, 10, 20 years ago, people are a bit more relaxed about it and they're not so much code switching. But it's this idea of acceptability. Like you have to be the acceptable version of yourself because your true self is the one that's being judged by all of these stereotypes and tropes that um, most white people have seen on television of what blacks and Latinos are supposed to be. You'll notice like when people talk about quote unquote minorities, they tend to not mention Asians or Southeast Asians because they're the quote unquote acceptable minorities. They quote unquote know how to behave. So it's like, Blacks and Latinos, they are uncultured, like they're more savage. So it's like knowing that people have this perception, you switch constantly between the acceptable version of yourself and who you really are. And even at home. So like at school, like I had to be a certain way. And at home, my mother would tell me at home, like, whereas most of my friends would be relaxed at home. Don't speak slang. You need to speak proper English because when you go out there, that's how people are going to judge you by how you speak. Enunciate. Pronounce all of your words. Add the I-N-G. Don't just say, I'm doing. It's doing. And I used to think like, oh, this lady is going to drive me crazy. I just need to relax. Like, I'm already tense at school because I have to be perfect right now. Then I come home. I can't even relax or slack off. But that's something that trained me for the professional world. And I never thought that it was true until one day I went on. Um, it was weird because it was like a job interview. The person hired me on the spot. She um, had her own PR agency. It was her and she needed me as an assistant. And I wanted the experience. And something I said, and I was blah, 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 blah. Um, ask, da, 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 da. And she was like, ask. It's A-S-K, no. not A-X. And I was like, excuse me? I was like, I said ask. I was like, just because I didn't elongate the at the end, 
doesn't mean that I didn't say it correctly. And in my head, I was like, if you knew who my mama was, you would know that I didn't say <laughs> act because I am not that girl. But I was like, I didn't say that. And she was like, you did. And I was like, oh, no, bitch, you must be crazy. I broke code and I switched <laughs> up. And I was like, oh, I let me you tell you who code. you're not going to talk to. You're not going to talk to me like that. And I was like, you want to hear some ghetto five talking? You're going to get some ghetto five talking. Apparently, that's what you think I am. And she looked so horrified. I was like, and don't you ever in your life think that you could talk to me or anyone else who looks like me like that. Just because that's what you were expecting to come out of my mouth didn't mean that that's what came out of my mouth. Check your bias. And I left and I never went back. And I was like, oh my gosh, you got to stop leaving places like this. But I was like, people need to stop being jerks like this. But that's like the code switch mindset. It's being able to present an acceptable version of yourself who's not going to be seen as threatening but only, black but women accept- are less threatening right but only accepting in the eyes of so think about it's what you're saying is you have to present yourself to make white people feel comfortable right that's absurd um yep you know when I hear, if when I, I don't even know how to say it, but when I hear a black person just talking, because I want you to talk to me like you talk to me, because I probably talk a little bit in between. Mm-hmm. So, but it may, but I've actually heard people say like, oh, she speaks very eloquently for a black person. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. When I hear that, I'm like, well. What, what I don't understand what you're talking about. Cause sometimes I don't speak eloquently. Sometimes I speak, I'm very vulgar and crass. And that's mm-hmm. how I, that is the real me when I'm like, fuck this shit, motherfucker. That is Joe. That is. And Joe. you want to know something? That's <laughs> your privilege. You will never be looked at as being less intelligent because you speak that way. But if, so for example, one of the, um, Political pundits I really like is Angela Rye. She um, works on CNN a lot, but she also has her own podcast. And I love how raw she comes across. And people are like, oh, she sounds so educated. Like, she sounds so ghetto. But she's one of the most intelligent people I've come across in a very long time. And she, I think, like, I'm 41, so she's probably 39 or 40. I don't know if she hit 40 yet. But she, like, Someone listening to her would be like, oh, she doesn't sound that smart. Like, why does she speak like that? She should be more polished. Another example of that is Cardi B. Cardi B, yo, when she talks, people are like, yo, what is she saying? Oh, my God, she sounds like an idiot. But if you actually listen to what she's saying, like, she's kicking so much knowledge that people don't even realize because they're so stuck on her accent and how she sounds and that she sounds good and, like, She's from the ghetto. Guess what? She's hood as fuck. She's from the ghetto. You think she cares? She's still going to be who she is every day. Cardi B doesn't code switch. Okay. That's a good example to use. She is just, she is her true self and she doesn't give a fuck. And we need to get more people to be like that. We need more people to just be who they are and to make, to force white people to learn how to accept people for who they are. I think we're starting to see more of that come to the forefront. Um, And what's interesting is like, I was hoping that my daughter, she's 14, like her generation, that would be 
the point where that starts to shift. But I see even she still has to do that. So, for example, her she had in her class last year an English teacher, very young, um, white woman. She seems nice by all accounts. And she had them reading a book about a young black girl who lived in the inner city but got a scholarship to go to an all-white private school. And in the book, they talked about code switching. And she said to the class, you know, you girls should never do that. You should be who you are every day, all the time, this, that, and the third. And she was like, you know, just because she's from one place and she goes to the other place, she shouldn't have to do that. And my daughter and a few other girls in the class, and my daughter is maybe like one of three black girls in her grade. And I think in that particular class, she was one of two. So my daughter, the other black girl, and a few of the white girls in the class, they were like, mm, this is making me uncomfortable. Like, that's not necessarily true. And she's IMing me throughout the whole lecture, like telling me what the teacher is saying. And so she came home, she and I talked about it. And on parent-teacher night, I said, I just wanted to talk to you for a second about this book. I was like, I'm glad that you have the girls reading it. I'm glad that you're teaching them that they should be empowered to be their true selves and not have to pretend or be someone else. I said, but when you show up in this world as your authentic, true black woman, fierce self, people are afraid. They think that you're being aggressive, obnoxious. You're over-sexualized. And I was like, that's not something that I can afford to do or she can afford to do. And the teacher said to me, well, did you read the book? Because if you did, you would know. I was like, I don't have to read the book. I lived the life. I went to the all-white private school. I know what it was like to go to school and people be like, oh, my gosh, you're from the Bronx? Like, I hear people get stabbed and shot. How many people have you seen die? And then come home and be called Oreo or thinking I'm white or acting white or talking white and trying to black it up to make people at home feel okay and try to white it up to make people at school feel comfortable. And then when I go home to my island where I'm from, people be like, oh, no, you're too American. So Uh, it's like... You, like, literally, you're constantly, it's like playing three-card Monty and trying to figure out where your true self is all the time. And it's not that you're not being true to yourself, but it's really, I say we're the true masters because we have mastered the art of knowing how to present in which situation and to whom to be able to get what we need done and make it in this world. But it's really hard. It'll be great if we get to that point. And to your point, it takes a little bit of both. Like, I love that Cardi is who she is. But she's like, F that. Y'all think I'm dumb and uneducated? Fine. Underestimate me. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to go leaps and bounds past you. And you're going to wonder how it happened. But also that people are starting to accept her and say, because she presents this way, doesn't make her any less than. But it's still not enough because you still hear the whispers, you still read the articles where people talk about how unrefined she is and mm-hmm. she should try to be more like X. And you can insert anyone's name there who has tried to do the assimilation thing. Whereas she's like, fuck that. Well, it sounds exhausting. You know, it is. I didn't know the term. I didn't know. I had never heard of the term code switching, but I've experienced it when I when I worked for the airline and I was a flight attendant supervisor. One of my dearest friends, I called her my adopted mom. Her name was D. And um, everyone loves D. But we used to sit in the office and when it was just her and I, 
you <laughs> the conversations we'd have. She was her she was just being herself with me. And that's what I mm -hmm. want. I want you to be yourself with me because when I hear a black person who might talk differently than me, I think in my brain, oh, that's their accent. I'm not going to pick on mm -hmm. someone because they have an accent. Well, maybe Boston people, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but but then when somebody, when our manager would come in, who was um, a very conservative old white lady, <laughs> I just have to say that because she's, I'm not a big fan of her. Um, Dee's whole attitude would switch. She'd be like, mm -hmm. yes, I'll, I'll go ahead and take care of that. And maybe we'd make eye contact and I roll my eyes and she'd giggle. But, and this is a full, this is like a 60 year old woman. This isn't like mm -hmm. a 22 year old. This is like a full ass grown woman who's mm -hmm. lived decades of racism, decades mm -hmm. of this. Right. And I, I guess I never put, oh, now I feel really bad because in my mind at the moment, you know, living in my white privilege and not really understanding what it's like to be a black person of color in our country. I can look back now and I can remember, oh, oh God, I wish I would have been able to pick up on that because in my mind, I just thought, oh, that's just the way it is. Like we're just being goofy right now. Um, and then when Darth Vader comes in, you know, everyone starts mm -hmm. acting better. Mm -hmm. But it was really deeper than that. Yeah. So thank you for educating and, me on that because I appreciate that. And that's the thing. It's funny because, like, I always say, like, being black in America is exhausting. It is exhausting in a way that I think very few non-black people understand or being black in another country. And I don't know. Well, I do know why. But it's, it's like it should not be this tiring. It's like you're constantly clenching your ass cheeks so that the fart doesn't get out and you're like holding it in. And that's why we see so many people look like they are losing their shit because it's like once you finally relax, it's like that waiting to exhale. Once you finally relax and you let it out, it's been built up for so long that the pressure almost consumes you. And that I think that um, is what we're seeing right now with people protesting and not just black folks, but everyone is tired of it. Everyone is starting to feel it. People are now looking and going, Oh, that's what you've been experiencing all the time. And even seeing that it's still not a true representation of how we actually feel and have to comport ourselves. Because even though I'm explaining it, it still doesn't even do it justice. No, no. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We could talk about this forever and you and I will be like on the same page, but then there's millions of other people who are just shaking their head. Like, no, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's when I get really frustrated, but yeah. I did. I, and that's what we, that, so sorry, not to no, cut you off, but no, that right there is what we see when we watch television and we hear conservatives say, well, what do you mean? because they can't fathom that because they have no frame of reference for it just to come full circle to the beginning of our conversation. Yes. And this is where it's, this is where I like to say, and I say this a lot of the time on this podcast is if you are a white person 
and you're listening to this show and you've listening to this conversation and you don't take the effort to understand why people are protesting. You know, I hate when somebody's like, I don't know why this is just happening. I'm like, honey, it's been happening for four fucking centuries. Read a book. Just read a book. Mm-hmm. I, I, if you need a book to read, I will give you plenty. You know, it's, it's this idea. So I say a lot of the time, if you're a white person and you don't understand why black people and people of color feel the way they do today, then you're being lazy. Yeah. You're just being lazy. You're just, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're just being lazy and you're not, it doesn't take much research. It really doesn't. I laugh about it, but that's just because it it boggles my mind. It doesn't take much research, like an afternoon, like four fucking hours out of your day, get on your computer and research the fight that black people have had in this country for 400 years. And you'll walk away. I actually have some friends. um, A couple months ago, I was really pushing that 13th Amendment show on Netflix. I thought it was great. And I was really pushing for people. And I actually had people reach out to me and say, I had no, oh my God, that show changed my, white people. I had no idea yep. this show changed my life. I've been a racist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, and that's the well thing. welcome. Like, now you're you, awake. Now you have to deal with it. Right. That. Yeah. Right. Now you woke, stay woke, and help with the fight. Be an upstander. I'm not going to say an ally. Be an upstander. Because right. we don't need your allyship. Like, we have your understanding. We need you to use your privilege to push forward legislature right enact certain laws that will help to ensure that this doesn't happen anymore and you don't even have to read a book for those of you who don't like to read (laughs) there are a number of shows series documentaries on netflix on amazon just go on youtube Right. And watch to your heart's content. I am. Um, I'm, I'm such a pusher of books though. That's where I always go. My, my, my thing is read a fucking book. You'll be fine. Trust yeah. me. Trust me. Yeah. But you're right. You know, there's some people who are like, I don't like to read books, even if they're for entertainment. So imagine right. trying to get somebody to read a book of, to educate themselves on the struggle and racial injustice in America. Like that's going to be far. So you're right. There's, you don't have to read a book, but do the homework and just try to understand how your fellow Americans, what it's like, because it's not the right. same for white people and black people. Point right. blank Read exclamation. A Have a conversation. Have a conversation. You know, that's why I love this podcast, because we're having these conversations that people don't want to have. And I don't understand right. that. I want to talk about this stuff because like like I think I hate this term though, and you used it woke. God, I, I that's my age. I'm getting to the point where I'm like, it's oh, over I, you. I hate it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe once or twice, but but you're right. It's like once you wake up, you have mm-hmm. to have these conversations. Like having these conversations, you're gonna learn stuff. I think that I'm woke, but I just learned the term code switching, which I had yeah. no idea what it was. So I'm going to walk away like, oh, I learned something new today. It's not difficult, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's not. And honestly, like a conversation is the best way. Like if my student had never said to me, professor, can I talk to you? I probably would have still in my head been like, yo, she's bugging. Like she's straight bugging. Like who is this chick? But she had the wherewithal to be like, can I speak to you? And honestly, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, walk up to a random stranger and be like, hey, black person, can I talk to you for a second? Because that might not go over so well. But if there's someone who you know or someone who knows someone that you know, ask if you could have a conversation. I'm seeing all of this happening, but do so with the 
wherewithal that that individual does not have a responsibility to educate you on the 400 years of oppression that has happened in this country. So even if you want to have the conversation, have the presence of mind that this person is not your personal tutor. But have go in wanting to have an understanding. Like when I don't know something, I ask people like, so explain this to me because I've always thought of X, Y, and Z and this, that, and the third. Um, the other day I watched, what is it called? Disclosure, I want to say it's called, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's in the Black Lives Matter category that Netflix recently erected. But it's about the um, trans experience in entertainment. And it's told from the perspective of the majority were like black trans people. And there were things that they talked about in that that documentary that I was like, holy shit, I had no idea. And they were talking about movies where you see people cross-dressing who weren't necessarily trans, but what that meant as a representation for trans. And I was like, huh. At first I was like, does that really matter? And I was like, insert black. If someone did that to a black person, I'm like, nah, that's fucked up. Okay, so I get it now. So it's like, you might not fully understand, but again, it's putting yourself into the shoes of someone to understand. And people are like, I would not have ever known that. Like, I went to school with someone who was trans, and I had no idea. Mm. Like, I just thought that she was a major tomboy, because again, I went to an all-girls school. And we came back for reunion one year, and they said, uh, they were talking about this person, and I knew who it was, and then on the stage walks a man, and I was like, but we didn't have men at school at that time. And it was like, oh, they transitioned. And it was like, okay, moving right along. It wasn't this whole, like, big to-do. It wasn't, like, crazy. It was just being able to open your mind and say, I understand. I get it. And even if you don't agree, I understand. I get it. Right. And, it. And like you said earlier in the episode, it's okay if you disagree on things. It doesn't mean you hate the person or you don't want to, you want to like, oh, you you don't agree with me? So we have nothing in common anymore. But right. I, I will say this. I'm, I'm starting to have this thought of, okay, come November, do I have to have a plan for how I'm going to deal with the people in my life who I know who willingly vote for Donald Trump even though we've experienced four years of chaos. So I'm on the fence with, yeah, I understand how important it is to maintain relationships and to converse, Mm -hmm. but I'm having a hard time, and I'm being completely honest, I'm having a hard time, and I've been talking to my husband about this. I'm going to talk to my therapist about it today on the call we have. But I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking, okay, come November 4th, if people voted for him and he wins that I know, how am I going to move forward with that relationship after having four years of this chaos? Am I going to want to, am I going to look at them differently? And am I a hypocrite if they voted for him, but he loses, but I still am friends with them or I still maintain a relationship with them. So I have a lot of puzzle pieces that I have to put together for me. And it might not, a lot of people might not be thinking about that, but it's something that popped in my head And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Because in 2016, I gave lots of people a pass because he said outrageous things before he was president. And I was like, yeah, but he hasn't been president, even though I disliked him from day one. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, 
Yeah, but he hasn't been president yet. He's probably just talking to him, just talking. Because, you know, a lot of times they just say shit. They throw it at the wall to see what sticks. I'm like, right. right. But now we've lived through almost four years of this bullshit. So how am I going to look at these people that I know in my life who think, yeah, I voted for him in 2016. Yeah, I've watched the country burn and 170,000 people die because he called the pandemic a hoax. But I'm still Uh going to vote for him. And I'm thinking more about, well, how am I going to deal with you? Because (laughs) that is is a big problem that I'm having right now. So it's definitely something that is on my mind a lot as we inch closer and closer to the election. Oh, you got a call. Tell them it's not as important as this one. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. It happens. It happens. But that's a great transition over. I'll wait a second. Okay. Okay. So it's a good transition because you are a publicist. You're an educator. You teach college students about ethics and how important it is. You're a writer and you published an article regard about ethics. And I want to read mm-hmm. something to you that I highlighted in your article. And it says, one of my past clients asked me to intentionally lie to a reporter. And when I refused, Mm -hmm. he lied to his business partner and blamed the resulting bad publicity on me. Can you explain that to me? Yes. So I was tasked with um, representing a company. It was a software company. And the CEO, there were two, it was co-CEOs. And the CEO who asked me to lie was a newly um, erected CEO, and the one who he wanted me to lie to was the CEO and founder. So the guy started the company. He wasn't as polished as this individual, um, and he thought that he had certain beliefs that he wanted pushed to the forefront. And for all intents and purposes, the founder was very passionate but the way in which he brought across certain information was not how business journalists and business media and, you know, potential investors would accept that type of information. So we, I got an exclusive for them with a um, with Cranes New York business. And the reporter at Cranes um, was asking some questions. And there was going to be a transition from there being two CEOs to there just being one, the new CEO. And the founder would still obviously be the founder, but he, I think he was going to be like the chief creative officer or something like that. Um, so he was going to take less of a running the day-to-day of the company type role and more of a creative operational role. And that had not been announced yet. And this article was focusing on things as they currently were at the company um, and something so small as he gave him his business card. And I looked at the business card and I said, these are the new business cards. Can I have the old one? And he said, oh, I already threw them away or recycled them or whatever. And I was like, okay. So I opted not to give the reporter the business card. Somehow, like the reporter doubled back for something and he gave him the business card anyway. So the reporter was like, oh, I didn't get your card. So he gave him the card. So then the reporter also got the um, business card from the founder because they were both interviewed. And he goes back to his office. He starts to write the article and then he calls me on the phone and he says, help me out with something because I have business cards from both um, co-CEOs. But one says, 
CEO and the other says co-CEO and founder. And he's like, what's going on? And I said, oh, you know, they're both um, co-CEOs. They're running the company together. One focuses on this. The other focuses on that. And he goes, okay, great. And he says, you know, I did have a few follow-up questions for, we'll call him Ted, for Ted. And I said, great. So Ted is talking to him. And he's saying some stuff. And because of who I am as a publicist, I always sit in on interviews because, A, I flag things and shut it down if it's not how it's supposed to be or not the position that we want taken. And, B, I listen intently to take notes to make sure that I get additional talking points. And, C, I try to follow up with the reporter to make sure that they have everything that they need. So... Ted says something that I'm like, oh, that's not right. But he's talking so fast, the reporter didn't pick up on it. So I let it go. The reporter calls me back again a couple hours later. And he's like, I just want to fact check a couple of things. So we start going through the fact checking process. And for those of you who are not publicists or in the biz, fact checking just means if there are certain assertions that were made, he's checking with me to make sure that it's all true and accurate. Um, And I say, no, that's not true. And for some reason, Ted happened to be walking by and he heard me and he knew what I was talking about. Mm. And um, he tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to come in, like wrote on a paper, come to my office when you're done. That goes off and he, I tell him what was happening. He's like, okay, the board of directors is in Ted and we'll call this other guy Sam. Ted and Sam are in talking to the board and Ted says, oh, oh, Sorry, I'm conflating something. Article is finished. It gets printed. It lists Ted as the CEO and president of the company. And it just lists Sam as the founder. So they're talking about this article and how great it is in the um, board meeting. Sam says to Ted, how come it doesn't list me as co-CEO? And he goes, I have no idea. Um, Rayal must have told them before it was time. Uh, for us to make that announcement that we were bifurcating our responsibilities. And then Ted comes out of the meeting. He pulls me into his office and he goes, this just happened. I need you to tell Sam that it was you. And I was like, excuse me? shit. And I was like, I will not. And he was like, you don't have a choice. I was like, oh, I always got a choice. Mm -hmm. Like, make no mistake. Like, you're about to see all the Bronx come out right now. Like, I always have a choice and he was like no you don't i already told him you did it and so you need to go along with that what a shady fucker yeah go ahead and so i was like yeah no not gonna happen and he was like are you refusing i was like i unequivocally refuse to lie to your business partner or anyone else like that's just not how i get down like my reputation is my reputation. I am only as good as that reputation. I don't have that privilege to sit here and lie. It turned into a huge thing. And he was like, well, you know what I expect of you and I expect you to do the right thing. I walk out of his office. I'm fuming. Even as I'm saying it right now, like I'm sweating because because, because I get so upset. His right thing is what's right for him, not what's right. Exactly. Yeah. So cut to a couple hours later, Sam comes, Sam's assistant IM'd me and she's like, oh, Sam wants to have a chat with you. I'm like, sure. She booked the conference room and I was like, oh my God, this is like really serious. So I was like, oh crap. 
And I physically start to feel ill. So Sam is like, help me understand what happened. Like we had a great interview. Why would you go and tell the reporter this thing? And I said, well, what makes you think that I told the reporter that? And he goes, well, that's what was written in the article. Ted said in the board meeting that that's what took place. And because of who I am, I go, so do you always believe everything that people tell you? And then he looked at me and I said, if I gave you, I said, show me the talking points that I gave you for the interview. So he showed them to me. I was like, and if you see here, it says what your responsibilities are, how it's divided equally between the two of you, what your titles are. I said, why would I give you this? And I said, and here's the set that I gave to Ted because a sister always comes with her receipt. I was like, and you'll see his says the same thing. I was like, why would you think that I would go against what I told you two to say and say something different? And then he looked at me kind of like puzzlingly and he goes, understood. And we never spoke about it again. But he said to me, like before we left that room, he was like, this is deeply troubling and I'm really hurt behind this. And that was the day, like I had already been feeling like this wasn't the company that I should be at. It was a startup. There were some other things that just made me uncomfortable. But that was the day that I was like, I can't work anymore. And I literally started looking for another job that afternoon. And I did not stop until I think I sent from my desk, mind you, I sent out about 10 resumes to potential opportunities. And it took me about two months from that point to actually transition into a new role because I was like, this is bullshit. I am not going to, I was like, first of all, Real is the individual. I don't lie. I can't lie. And anyone who knows me will tell you, even if it's going to hurt your feelings or you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you, you're always going to get the truth from me. People always come to me for the truth. Secondly, as a publicist, people already think that we are hats and we make shit up and all of that. So I'm like, as a publicist, I try to be, try to live my life and be as professional as possible with as much integrity as possible. Yes, there are certain facts that we will massage into the direction that we want it to go, focus on the things that we want you to focus on. But I'm always honest and truthful. And I was like, I'll be damned if this little startup right here tries to take me out with some nonsense over somebody wanted to be in charge and beat on his chest and make somebody else feel bad. I was like, not today. And I will not be the tool that you use to do that. And so it just really left me feeling like crap. And it wasn't the first time that something like that had happened where someone wanted me to be less than truthful. And unfortunately it wasn't the last time either. And that's something that I bring to the classroom when I teach my students and I let them know people are always going to Try to see what you are willing to do and not do. And specifically when you are young and just starting out in whatever business you're in. I was like, even in your own relationships, like there's a common meme that says um, you teach people how to treat you. If you let people see that you're willing to do anything regardless of the outcome, they know how far they can push you. If you let people see that the truth is a suggestion, they know what you will and won't do. But if you let people see that you're a person who lives and leads your life with integrity, then that's something they can never take away from you. And you're going to hit some walls. I was like, fortunately enough for me, early in my career when stuff happened, I was able to walk away if I didn't like the way 
someone did something or if a situation made me uncomfortable. Sometimes I didn't have that luxury and I stuck around longer than I should, but I always was true to myself. And sometimes I was like, F this, and I just walked out the door. And you have to decide what that line is for you. And that's what I teach my students. That's what I teach my daughter. And sometimes doing the right thing is not always the easy thing. Mm, And when you're working in like on a small scale like this, it may seem like nothing. But when you look at people who are in very high visibility roles, like, um, for example, the colonel or the whistleblower who came out and said, you know, President Trump is having inappropriate conversations with Russia. Like, that's something that a lot of people, probably on a small scale, would have liked that person to keep quiet. Like, whistleblowers for, like, Philip Morris and other companies, like, they are maligned because people try at all costs to keep a lid on things that they don't want coming out. And you have to decide how far are you willing to go? Are you willing to die on this sword? Because I can guarantee you if the shoe was on the other foot, your ass would be on the other side of that door faster than you can say, but because nobody wants to hear it. As long as you're not pushing their agenda, nobody wants to hear it. But you have to decide for yourself, how are you going to live your life ethically and morally? And truthfully, and then act accordingly. And it's not always the easy thing. Sometimes it's easy to not say anything. Sometimes it's easy to pretend that it didn't exist. And sometimes it's easy to do that small lie. But small lies turn into big ass favors that will land you in jail or worse. And that's how I teach my students. And that's how I teach my daughter. Sometimes it means you're going to lose the friend. Sometimes it means you're going to lose that job. You're going to be broke. You're going to be eating tuna fish and a couple of noodles. But just understand that that will lend you, land you in a place that's much better. And it might not be quick, but in the long run, you will feel better about it. Unless you're just a cold, heartless person who really doesn't give a shit. And then, you know, you'll do whatever you have to do regardless. Do you... um? Do you think there's a level of low self-esteem or confidence that also comes with that? Because, you know, when I worked for the airline, when I was a flight attendant supervisor, I was asked to do things that I didn't think was right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the airline that you and I worked for, they like to t- talk about integrity when they lack it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just remember always saying, no, yeah, no, I'm not going to lie about that. No, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth. But I worked with people who would go along with the lie or they would say, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll say, what, what do you want me to say? And I would look at that person and I would compare the person to me and I would think, well, maybe they have low self-esteem. Maybe their integrity isn't as important to them as it is to me. What, rec- what do you recommend to somebody who is in a situation where their boss wants them to be unethical or make, you know, lie, basically lie. And Mm -hmm. they want to maintain their job, but you know, I, I can't go along with this bullshit. For, and this is what I did in the situation that happened at the company after the software company I was just talking about. What I did was I called it out and I said, I'm not going to do this. And my boss said to me, why can't you just do as you are told? And I was like, oh, hell to the motherfucker. <laughs> That's what I would have said. I would have said what you like, said, but bitch, you're crazy. I was yeah. like, what? 
And then I said, you know what? If this is what you want done, great. My name is not going on it. So whose name is? I was like, I'll write whatever you want me to write. I will send it out, distribute it. My name is not going on this. And I was like, and I would like that to be written for posterity. Let us document this. That's the advice that I would give. Say your piece. And if you know that you don't have the opportunity to walk away because of your financial situation, I'm not nobody for that because there's been plenty of times where I did not have that flexibility and you have to sit there and eat crow. But say your piece, document it. And even if no one else sees it, document it in a way that if it blows back on you, you have the ability to say, here's where the request came in. This is how I refuted it. And I was told to do it anyway. And I really did not have a choice. Um, And so I did it. But document it and make sure you get right with yourself and figure out what you do next to be able to come back from that. Because I know for me, I feel immense guilt. Mm-hmm. I always say I have Irish Catholic guilt, even though I am neither. But <laughs> I always feel immense amounts of guilt whenever I have to do something that I know is not right. Or if I didn't speak up when I saw something happening. And there's been plenty of times that my mouth has written checks that my ass could not cash. But I was like, at the end of the day, if I don't speak up, I'm going to feel worse about letting this slide. So sometimes you may not have a choice, but do what you feel in your heart is right. If you're in a situation where your back is against the wall and you have to do what you're told, do what you're told, but document it. So that way it doesn't blow back on you. You know, um, I'm glad that we're talking about this because I'm going to go back to when I was a flight attendant supervisor and I had decided to go back to the line. So I had, Mm -hmm. I said, I'm done with this bullshit. You know, they tricked me in thinking I could make a change in people's lives as flight attendants, but no, they really just want the supervisors to do what they say. So I was like days away, like two or three days away from, from leaving the office and going back to the airplane. And my manager came in and she was putting someone on disciplinary action. And I did not believe it was warranted. I believe it was, it was one of those situations where you could have just sat down and said, Hey, this isn't. You shouldn't, don't ever do this again. I know people make mistakes. Just don't do this again, right? But she was hell-bent because at that airline I worked for, their job, they, they condemned you before they even did any research. Mm-hmm. So it was like, in my department, it was like, if you did something, there wasn't, you know, before you even reached out to the flight attendant to say, hey, what happened? They were already writing up the disciplinary action with the action plan in place. And I'm like, well, how the fuck are you doing that when you haven't even spoken to the person? But right, that's just right. But she came in and she goes, I need you to put this, per- um, this person needs to go on disciplinary action. You need to write it up and you need to give it to them. And I said, whoa, I am actually, first of all, I disagree with this. I don't think this person should be on disciplinary action. Second of all, in three days, I could be on an airplane with this person having to explain Mm -hmm. to them, yeah, no, you know what? They forced me to do that. And I didn't even agree with it. So this is what we're going to do. I will write it up for you, but I'm not putting my name on it. And then I'm going back to flying because you're a bitch. Oh, oh my God. Mm-hmm. That just came out. I'm so sorry. Um, and I, but I stand by that. And I am going to go back flying. And then you have to have the responsibility. And let me tell you, the last two or three days of my 
experience there was hell because I stood up for myself and said, yeah, no, I, first of all, I don't agree with this. I'm not going to be able to go back on the airplane and fly with this person and, you know, stick up for you. I'm probably going to be on the airplane talking shit about you and your decision making. Mm -hmm. So to avoid all that so that I could just say, yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah. I wasn't on board with that. And I did nothing about it. I said part, cause she said it is your job. That's what she said. You need to do your job. Just kind of like what that Ted guy said to you, why can't you just do your job? Well, I'm not going to mm -hmm. do a job that is wrong. I'm not going to go against my own integrity. So I just remember that. And I was so, pr I walked out of that airport that day. You, I could have hit, I could have got hit by a truck and I would have still woke up and I would have been like, I had a good day. Yep. Yep. Because it's so important to be true to yourself. And I know if I would have done that, even if I would have never seen that flight attendant and work, and the funny part is I never worked with him again because then I transferred bases and I'd never, I had never even seen him again. But I would have, I would be sitting here right now telling you how I failed myself and this person just because I didn't want to stand up for myself or stand yeah. up for the truth. So it all goes back to what we first started talking about in the podcast, how if you know the truth, if you are aware and alert and know what's going on and you know it's fucking wrong, it is your responsibility to stand up and to say yep. something. So I think yep. that I think that was perfect. Yeah, I stand by that always. And like I said, sometimes it serves me very well. And people are like, wow, it's like they snap out of it. And sometimes they look at me like, you're never going to have a future. You're never going to go anywhere. I thought you were ambitious. And it wasn't until someone at that airline said to me, you're really ambitious, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And I was too naive to realize that it, that was not a compliment. But I was like, Ambition does not equal being underhanded or a liar. Like, I don't understand how these two things go together. And I will say, I do think that that, like, as far as I've gotten in my career and as successful as I have been, I think that's one of the reasons why I have not been more successful because I just yeah. refuse to play that game. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I got to go home and look my mama in the eye. My mother, who came here to this country when she was 21, 22, with barely anything. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not going to happen. No, and I think that that is the way we should be. And so many people aren't. And that's why I asked you, like, what could we tell somebody who may be in this situation but is afraid to stand up for themselves. It, and it's exhausting. And it really cuts away at your own core beliefs. When you are exactly. in, when you when you lie for someone, it, it's that whole thing. It's that whole manipulation or that whole thought process of I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do because you work mm -hmm. here. And if you don't do what I want you to do, even if it's the worst thing possible, um, even if I make you lie, you're going to do what I say or you're not going to have a job. Well, then I don't belong here. So I might as well catch some unemployment. Right. And that's the thing. Like a lot of people, and you'll see, like people know who they can do it to. Mm -hmm. Like in the Caribbean, we have this phrase. People say like, Duffy know who to frighten. So like ghosts know who to scare. People know who to take advantage of. People know who to go with what. So for example, he saw me because of how I present. Like I. At work, I am so unassuming. I'm like, sure, like, 
let's see how that works until you cross me. And then I'm like, I need you to back up. But people know who to go to. And I don't think he knew me well enough to know what I was going to do. I think he thought that just because I was a company publicist, that I was going to stay and do whatever the company wanted. And I think that was how he tried me. I also didn't get my bonus. And I'm pretty sure that that was one of the reasons why, even though that was complete bullshit. And I made us think about it and all of that stuff. But people know who to fuck with when they want to. Yeah. And if you're in a position where you don't necessarily have the, um, what's the word that I want to use? If you're in a position where you aren't necessarily able to advocate for yourself or where you'll be seen as the person in the wrong and you see how quickly it was for Ted to point the finger at me, if they know that you can be the scapegoat, Mm. you will be. Oh, of course. Yeah, they have no loyalty. They have no loyalty. Yeah. And so a lot of people, for example, like at the airline, a lot of people would be like, oh, my God, no, but it's the company and they're doing the right thing and we have to stand by them. And I know they're going to do right by me in the long run. So I'm going to stick by them and do whatever I have to do to make sure that whatever the company wants gets done. And it's people like that. I don't necessarily, you would ask if I thought it was like low self-esteem. I don't think that's what that is. I think it's this sense of, wide-eyed idealism that people have in wanting to be connected and wanting to belong where they're willing to do any and everything because they want to be seen as part of the upper echelon that top built. For me, again, for I love my mother to death, but bit crazy. And she taught me a lot of things as a kid that I was like, no, she's bugging. Like the world doesn't work like this. Right. And she would say to me, your bread is not buttered on two sides. Work is older than you, which is a very archaic way of saying, even when you're gone, the work is still going to be there and somebody else is going to do it. So whether you do it or not, somebody else will. Whether you do whatever BS that they want you to do or not, it's not going to solidify your place there. Because the minute they find that you're not doing what they want, you're not exacting their will, you become replaceable. So all that shit that you did and you sold your soul for what? For nothing. There's no or loyalty. What? One of the things right. one of the things I learned from my coworker D was people would all freak out. Oh my God, oh my God. And she would always say to me, Joe, I just want you to remember one thing. The airplanes will fly. They're, exactly. they, they will, you know, whatever happened, they are going to get that airplane in the sky. We are not that important. Yep. And, yep. um, and, and right. And before we sign off here, I wanted to say one more thing about Ted. Um, he probably, his experiences with publicists in the past were probably ones that would just roll over and do whatever he said, yep. or just any of his employees, your job is to do yep. what I say. And that's it. And lots of people, I think probably, I would guess that most people would be like falling in line. Okay. I don't want, I need this job. I don't want to cause any problems. Mm -hmm. It takes a very brave person to be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So thanks for being brave and making change and educating, I try educating people on ethics and how important it is to do the right thing. And yeah, listen, I'm no saint. I've done a lot of shitty things and I've said a lot of shitty things, but at the end of the day, I believe inside I'm a good person and Mm -hmm. I think that's important. 
Yeah, that's all that we can do. At Except the end of the day. I'm already feeling guilty that I called my old manager a bitch. I should have said something <laughs> else because, you know, when you say that, here's the thing. I call everything, I call my cats, when my cat throws up, I'm like this bitch. Everything is mm -hmm. a bitch to me. So whether you're a man or a female, but I understand that when you when a white man says that about a woman, no matter what the circumstances are, mm -hmm. it does not sound good. So yeah. I will apologize for that. I should have called her an asshole because really I'm reading this book right now called Assholes, a Theory. And she really <laughs> she, she, she was really an asshole. Like you're reading through like boss assholes. And I'm like, she must have read this book before she took the job. Right. Like check, check, check. Yes. Noted. Well, Riel, thank you for coming on the show. There's so much that we didn't even get to talk about. So I want to invite you to come back on one day because of course, because this two hours went by so fast and it was just so wonderful. So thank you for being real, Riel. Oh, that's so cute. I appreciate it. And um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. So will you come back on one day again soon and we can continue our conversation? All right. Thank you so much. Please be safe and continue being an amazing, amazing human being. Thank you, Joe. Love you. Love and you too, anytime. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Talk soon. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, <laughs> check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.